I like that you clapped for that like I made the video. So that, that was good. Um, I actually think there's a market for that. Um, if you're a mother here, we just want to say we are incredibly grateful for the many, many roles uh, that you step in and, and you fill. And I know it doesn't mean uh, that you're necessarily just the biological mother in that, but that you're fulfilling the, uh, the role that's there, the, the, the things, the responsibilities that are there. Um, this is always kind of an, uh, a, a, just a kind of an awkward holiday to come in and, 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 and preach on because I don't want to just address moms this morning because I think there's, uh, the word of God has so many things to say through this idea of the mother role. And so I was looking up some things and I came across a news article that was published in London and the title of this news article said, the 20 worst Mother's Day cards to give your mom. And it's uh, several pages long, and on every page, it starts with a warning saying, we are reminding you, don't give this card to your mom. And at the end, it says, I know you laughed at this, but don't give this card to your mom. Now, I don't want to tell you all 20 of them because some of them are really, really inappropriate. But, but some of the ones that I thought were kind of funny that, that, that are, are, are worth sharing, and again, we want to put that note out there, don't give this to your mom, okay? At least not sincerely. Uh, one of them says, mom... Thanks for always checking up on me. And then there's a picture of a cell phone with 24 unanswered calls from mom. Um, the, another one says, um, well, I guess this, is mo this Mother's Day card is late. It looks like someone wasn't raised properly. <laughs> another card says, look, I got you a card. I'm awesome. You're welcome to the luckiest mom ever. And then another one says, I got you this card because it matches your hair, and the card is nothing but a gray cardstock. <laughs> now, again, don't get those cards for your mom. But I do think today would be, is a good day for us to do um, a, a checkup. Uh, a, a really, it's a spiritual checkup on, Mom, how are you doing? Um, now, as we do this, it's also really good for the rest of us to ask some of the questions here. And there's going to be some important questions that we're going to ask that kind of gives us like this spiritual thermometer just to see where we are with things. But uh, in order for us to do that, we're going to be looking at a story that's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. And it is a long story. So we don't have time this morning to sit here and read all of this. So I want to tell you about what's going on and use some things that are in there for us to do some kind of self-examination here. And when I say self-examination, we're going to look at how we are doing spiritually. So in 2 Kings chapter 4, we what we have going on in Israel, the northern kingdom, is uh, Elisha has now stepped into the role that has been vacated by the prophet Elijah. Now there's some history to this, uh, some, a little bit of reluctance that Elisha uh, kind of felt going into this, but everywhere he would travel, people would recognize that the Spirit of God was with him. And so, sort of not by his choice, but he kind of accepted it. He said, okay, I'm going to step into this role as the nation's prophet. Well, part of the role of the prophet, particularly at this time and specifically in Israel, is that you would sort of be a traveling preacher, you would visit different towns, different parts of the nation, different regions, and you're just kind of checking up on things, and you're talking with God a lot, saying, Lord, what message do you have for this part of the country? What message do you have for the people of God? And a lot of times, scribes would be following you to write some of this down so it can be shared amongst the rest of the nation. 
Lord, what would you have for me to say to the king right now? Lord, where can I hide from the king right now? And so you would travel through these different towns. Well, in our story, one of the towns that Elisha travels through quite often is the town called Shunem. Now, you, if you looked up Shunem like in the concordance of your Bible, you're going to find a couple different things that, that it's, it's famous for. But this specific spot, um, Elisha's doing some pretty critical ministry. Shunem is on the eastern end of the Jezreel Valley. Um, uh, if you were to look up where Mount Mora is, you'll, you'll be really close to where Shunem is. But it is in a valley. But the, the really cool part about this valley is if you're in the valley, you get this view of three or four really distinct mountain peaks. And if you're on one of these mountain peaks, you get this great view of what's going on in the valley. So for someone who oversees ministry like Elisha does, being on one of these peaks is a great place to kind of see and view what's going on in this town or the towns that are around it. Well, as he would travel through this town, he met what the scriptures call a prominent or a wealthy woman. And we're never given the name of this woman, so you're going to hear me refer to as the uh, Shunammite woman quite often as we go through this. But she's going to kind of be the catalyst for this spiritual welfare checkup that we're going to be doing. Well, we're told that she's prominent, that she has some wealth. Um, this means that she probably has some position within the community. And the, the kind of weird part about this is, is every time Elisha would come into town, she would see him... And uh, because he would stop at her place to grab a bite to eat, and she recognized him as a holy man. She turned to her husband and said, that's a holy man right there. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear that. Um, that's sort of a bizarre thing to call somebody today. Um, if we were to point at somebody and say, that's a holy man right there, that could mean a lot of different things. You might think that we're talking about some kind of Eastern religious guru or something like that, or we might be talking about someone who's just a good guy. But for those in Israel to call somebody a holy man, it meant something very specific. They recognized two things about them. One, that the Spirit of God is with this person wherever this person went, is a high praise compliment. And the other thing, and this is sort of the, the catch for us today, is to call this person a holy man, you recognize that not only does the spirit come with this person, but that person walks and talks with God on a regular basis. It's a big deal right here. This woman turns to her husband and says, man, that's a holy man of God. Then we read in verse 10, that as she is uh, seeing this holy man visit their place over and over, um, she wants to spend more time. And this guy talks to God, I, I, I want to get to know him. And so she turns to her husband and she says, hey, I've got an idea. Now, I want to pause right there because I know that when I'm at my house and my wife comes into a room and she says, hey, I've got an idea. Everybody in our house pauses, don't move, <laughs> Don't move because we don't want to trigger any more ideas, okay? Let's, let's deal with one idea at a time here. And it's always something, it's, it, I'm not going to say bizarre because she's in the room right now. I, I'm, I'm going to say it, it's something that it, it's, we're going to go, we're going to experience something, okay? Um, and so everyone just freezes. I've learned, we've been married long enough to know that no matter what she says, there is going to be no reaction from me at all. We're just going to, everyone's just going to take it in. Okay, 
Okay. Well, this woman says, I've got an idea. All right? I've got an idea. And the husband doesn't say anything. But she says, you know what? We should build onto our house. Let's build a room on the roof so that every time this holy man comes, he's got a place to stay. And do you know what the husband says? No, you don't, because the very next verse says, now there came a day that Elijah came and stayed in the room that they built. There is nothing between verses 10 and 11 of this husband's response. She had an idea, the husband built a room. That's what happened. Well, Elisha is very, very grateful for this woman and this husband building this room. He's got a place to stay, and so he wants to do something out of his gratefulness. And with him, uh, travels, the, a guy that travels with him is his assistant. His name is Gehazi. And Elisha says, hey, Gehazi, come here. I want to do something for this woman. Go bring this woman to me, and let's see what we can do to repay her for this room that we get to stay in. So the woman comes and visits him in these chambers, and Elisha says, you know what? I've got a lot of pull in the kingdom. I've got a lot of pull. I've, I've got an ear with the king. Would it be all right if I set your husband up uh, with a job with the king? And, and, and if you don't want the king, if he, if he wants to be you know, outside of that, I, I also know some army commanders that can get him a really good job, and, and, and you guys would be set for life. And the woman says, no, 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 no. I didn't do that to, to get something from you. Uh, she says, I want to dwell among my people. Now, there's a lesson in there. Uh, this woman sounds like an awesome mom, an awesome wife. But the catch is she's not a mom. Elisha is still wanting to do something for this Shunammite woman. Um, and she, he says, Gehazi, what is it that we can do? And Gehazi comes in and says, you know what, holy man? This woman's been barren. Her husband's getting older. You've got some pull not just with the king, but you've got some pull with God. Why don't you talk to him and uh, make something happen there? And so Elisha calls this woman back in and says, hey, you know what? This time next year, you're going to be with a son. You're going to be with a son. And this woman says, yeah, right. Do not lie to me. Some translations say, do not deceive me. And what she's saying is, I have had my hopes set up before only to see them dashed. Don't do this to me again. In the very next verse, in verse 17, we read, about this time next year, the woman has a son. The woman has a son. Elisha was able to talk to God and have this happen. Well, then we get into verse 18, and the child's a little bit older. As a matter of fact, he's old enough to go with dad to work. Uh, most scholars think that this kid is roughly six, seven, eight years old, some, something like that. He goes with dad. Dad's work is out in the fields. He's got a bunch of employees that, that are doing some work too, and he's out there playing with them. And then all of a sudden, he starts complaining about some headaches. He says, dad, 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 I've got, my head is just killing me. And so dad goes, you know what? I've got work to do. Hey, points to an employee, says, why don't you take this kid, uh, take him back to his mom, see if his mom could do something about him, see if he can quit whining about these headaches. I, I, I've got to get some things done. So the servant takes uh, this boy back to mom, back to the Shunammite woman. The woman holds him, and then by noon, we read that the child is dead. 
And so the woman, in her grief, calls for her husband and says, hey, get one of your employees, get a donkey saddled, I'm going to visit Elisha. Now, right now, Elisha is at Mount uh, Carmel. And that's roughly 20 miles away or so. Um, if we were to drive a car there today from Shunem to this mount that he's at, it's going to take us about an hour. Um, by foot, I put it into Google Maps. It takes roughly nine hours. I have zero idea how long it takes riding a donkey to get to this mountain. But the husband's response to her is, Are you really, you're really going to bother this guy right now? And when, when he brings that up, her response is this, all is well. Now, this is kind of the Israelite way of saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I think that's a pretty common response even for us, that many of us who are walking kind of in the hallways and we see some people we haven't seen in a week or a couple weeks, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. Um, Or all is well. But she rushes. Um, We're told that she makes haste to get to Elisha. She's got some questions for this guy. You know, what in the world's going on with this boy that you promised me that you talked to God? All these things like this. And so she makes her way uh, to Elisha, and she's trying to fight through the crowd. Elisha sees her from this mountain peak, and he sends Gehazi to uh, go visit this woman. He says, hey, that's the woman. That's the place that we stay. Hey, run down there and go ask her these questions. And these are our questions that we're going to use for the rest of our time to do this spiritual welfare checkup for ourselves. The first question that he sends Gehazi with is, is it well with you? Is it well with you? Well, moms, is it well with you? How are you? No, really, how are you doing? For the Shunammite woman, she responds to Gehazi and says, again, all is well. I'm fine. Now, we're reading this, and we know that not all is well. She just lost her child. She just dropped everything to make haste on this donkey with a servant to get an audience with Elisha, with this man of God. And in verse 27, she tells a different story. Because she gets past Gehazi, and she's fighting through the crowd, and Elisha says, hey, guys, leave this girl alone. Can't you tell that she is bitterly distressed? This woman is angry with God. She's got questions. Did I ask for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Are you well, moms? This is a deeply spiritual question. Moms, are you okay? Do you walk with God? And how is that going? I know that God may be a part of your story, but is he the commander of your story? I know that God might have been a part of your past, but is he still the Lord of your present and still the one that holds your future? Has bitter distress moved you away from a nearness that you once had with God? Mom, how are you doing? How is your walk with God? There are some people that were walking in a park that's in New Jersey. And they were hearing these screams going on. And it was just a weird voice that they were doing. So they kind of were hesitant to check it out. And when they kind of peeked around the corner, they see a bunch of gals who are doing nothing but just screaming into the air. Now, this is a little bizarre. 
Um, if it's me, I'm going to pretend I don't hear that, throw some headphones in and walk the other way. Um, just make sure everyone's safe. Um, but it kind of became a thing, and, and people were starting to recognize it. And one reporter, um, her name is Jessica Gross, went to go investigate what was going on with this. And the, it was a group of moms, she found out, who were so frustrated. They were at the end of their rope just in dealing with the things of life that they got together and their objective was just to scream and shout into the nothingness. And they were talking to each other about how much, how much better they felt. And matter of fact, one mom said, we came here uh, like this um, because guilt has become my natural habitat. What they didn't know is that they actually have an audience, not with the nothingness, but we have an audience with the creator of the universe who is capable of hearing our shouts and our cries and our screams and knows our bitter distress. And so I ask again, moms, how are you? How is your walk with Jesus? Psalm 55, 22 says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So how are you? Is it well with you? If not, I cannot think of a better day than for us to give again our hearts to the Lord and say, I want to repent from this bitterness. I want to repent from this distress. Is it well with you honestly? Well, Gehazi is also charged with asking her another question. His second question to uh, this woman is, is it well with your husband? Well, how's your spouse? Like, Really, how is your spouse? Let me ask this. When is the last time... Wives, that you've had an honest and sincere, non-judgmental, non-anger, real discussion with your spouse about how they are doing spiritually. Do you know your spouse's faith? Do you talk about it? Are you able to have a conversation that doesn't end in some type of argument or shouting match? Have you ever said, honey, what do you think about God? The Shunammite woman, when she told her husband that she was going to find the prophet, her husband's response was, why are you going to bother him right now? Is it a Sabbath? Is it a holiday? Is it a festival day? See, for this husband, God was just for certain days. And I know that for a lot of our families, God is just for Christmas. God is just for Easter. Some of us might even be right here because it's Mother's Day and, you know, whatever, honey. Have you had a conversation with your spouse about God? Maybe it would be good to ask your husband how his walk with God is. And husbands, let her ask that question. Let her ask this God question. Don't let God be a taboo topic. Husbands, is it well with you? Are you well with God? Recent data shows that this conversation is simply not happening. There's a recent Barna poll that says conversations are not happening amongst those that we are closest to about the topic of God. And he gives, uh, in his research, uh, four main reasons why this isn't going on. One, people are saying we don't, we don't talk about this because it creates too much tension. Another reason is we don't talk about this because, honestly, I simply just don't care about God. Another thing that they found is that this conversation doesn't happen because I don't want to be seen as a fanatic or an extremist. Because if we bring up God, that automatically makes us an extreme person. 
And another reason why we don't talk about it, they found, is because the, the response to this is, I don't talk about this because it feels cheesy and it feels like an outdated topic. For this woman's husband, he seemed ambivalent. He was lost in his work. He didn't even have time to take care of his kid that was complaining about being sick. And when his wife left for church on a non-Sunday morning, he's like, what's the special occasion? But this is an honest question. How is it with your spouse? I came up with a couple different discussion starters if you're needing help with this. And if you, if you want these, I can give them to you later too. Um, but ask these questions, and when you ask it, don't talk after that. Just listen. Just listen to the answers here. Make an environment where there is no judgment and let each other express this in an honest situation. Start out by asking this question. How did you picture, or how did you picture the way you did And then just talk about it. Or when was the last time that you recall really experiencing God's presence? And then just listen. What do you think God would say about our marriage? And just listen. And how might I best support you in what God is doing in your life right now? And then just listen. Because it's really important that we answer this question. Is it well with your spouse? Not how's your job, not how's your social life, not how's your favorite team, but how is your walk with God right now? And husbands... Is there a better day than today to pick that walk back up if it doesn't exist? Is there a better day, maybe husbands, that you bring this up than today? Is it well with you, husbands, honestly? Well, the third question kind of fits in with the rest of them that Gehazi asks. And he says, is it well with your child? Is it well with your child? Well, it took a little while but the Shunammite woman finally admits, no, the child's dead. He is dead. It is not well. Many of us who carry the title of mom or dad fail to realize that what was physically true with this child is also spiritually true of our own child. When was the last time we asked our child or asked our kids, is it well with them with God? Cecil Taylor tells a story of a mom with a large family. He tells it like this, a godly mother with a big family lived in the country. And most of the time, the children were outdoors working or playing, checking in at mealtime, but soon off again at full speed. And as twilight drew a curtain across the end of each day, she counted her kids. She could not rest until she knew all were home. Are all the children in? She asked over and over again. As darkness grew, so did her anxiety. She then went to the porch and rang a bell again and again and again. She could not rest until she knew all the children were safely home. Is it time, mom and dad, to ring the bell? Is it time for us to take that spiritual just test just to see how our kids are doing in their walk with God? You see, in our story, we learn that God's in the resurrection business. Because the rest of the story goes like this. Elisha hears this woman's distress, grabs Gehazi and says, we're going to go check on this kid. Gehazi runs up to the room where the dead child is lying, comes back to Elisha and reports, yeah, he's really dead. So Elijah, this is some of the most bizarre texts that we ever read. I don't understand all of it. But he runs up to the room, lays himself on the child, 
after he prays to the Lord. Then he gets up, starts walking all around the house, and we know this is a large house, presumably still praying to the Lord, runs back up to the room, lays himself back down on this child, and soon we read that the child sneezes seven times. Now, I'm not making this up. I don't understand it. But no one said, I hope the child's not sick because he sneezed. Everyone said, the child is alive. God is in the resurrection business. We learn this. And we have to answer this question honestly. Does your child know that? Is your child serving Jesus and growing in the Lord? Or have they gone to the far country? Do you teach them to read their Bible and to pray every day? And do you model that? Did you set their feet on the road of obedience to the Lord? And have you done your best to encourage your child to live for the Lord? These are hard questions. These are difficult things that we're asking you to do today because they are demanding that we too are doing the same things. This message on Mother's Day is not a light one. I know that. And I know that it can feel daunting. These are tough conversations we're asking you to have because we're asking you for you to give your all to God and through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus lived a holy life, and he died the sinner's death so that all can be well with us. It would be helpful, though, if we broke this down just to asking, what is it that we do next then? Because if the answer to any of our checkup to these questions is it's really not well, then we need to make some different steps. We need to take some different directions. Fred Craddock once addressed an audience who desired to serve the Lord, but were weary and tired from doing it. And he said this, he gave this illustration. We think that giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord, I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents here. Listen to the neighbor's kid's trouble instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give up a cup of water to a shaky, uh, to a shaky person in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. So we're going to sing a song here in a minute, and we've got an invitation. And the invitation really is if any of the answers to these questions is not all is well. We're going to invite you to come, and just like Craddock says, just give the next 25 cents. Just give the next quarter. Just do the next little bit of act of love so that we can start moving in the direction where we can honestly and truthfully say, all is well. My walk with God is well. If you've got a decision to make, we've got some folks at the decision point that would love to walk with you in that, would you stand as we sing this decision song right now?